And Jesus, we pray these things in your good, good name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we are going to continue our series through the book of John. Uh, and we're going to wrap up our message time again with communion this morning. So again, I'll invite you to, to grab a cup and grab some bread to, to, to partake with us a little bit later. Uh, but we've been walking through pretty much verse by verse this biography of Jesus since the fall. And we've called the series Come and See because really, uh, in a lot of ways, John's gospel is just that. It's an invitation to, to, to see Jesus for who he is. Now, right in the opening verses, right in the, the first couple of verses of, of chapter 1 even, we see this invitation to come and see. This, this Jesus has, has burst into history, and, and again and again we hear these, these words, come and see, come and see, come and see the one who told me everything I ever did. Come and see this man. We think he might be the Messiah. Now, if you're just checking us out for the first time or visiting with us or checking out church for the first time, somehow you've stumbled upon our live stream, let me just first say thank you. Welcome. You're welcome here. I, I'd love to connect with you. I invite you to either head over to trinitycammore.com slash connect and drop me a little note and I'll, I'll see it. I'll use the connect button in the chat if you see that on our live stream page or just drop a note in the chat and I will catch up with those later. It would be great to connect with you. Well, John is one of four biographies of Jesus that we have, and each one of them is a bit unique. The Gospel of Mark, which we actually studied a little while ago here at Trinity, uh, Mark wrote to non-Jewish audiences, and one of his really key focus points was that Jesus is the servant that come to, to serve. Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, he's writing primarily to Jewish audiences, trying to, to show them that Jesus is king. And so when we read Matthew, we see it's, it's filled with Jewish imagery, and it really points back to the Jewish history and Jewish prophecy more than the other Gospels do. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, in, in there, Dr. Luke writes his orderly account to show us that Jesus was fully human as well as God. But John here is repeatedly emphasizing that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God, and that he is better. In John's gospel, we find the, these seven epic I am statements, and the first of which we come across this morning in just a little bit. And these statements that, that Jesus says that John's recorded for us, they do uh, at least two things for us. First, they prove John's point that Jesus is the Christ and that he is better in every way. Last week we said, remember, Jesus is the true and better Moses. And so John takes these, these signs, these symbols from Jewish history, from the Old Testament and says, listen, these things point to Jesus and Jesus is the true and better, whatever that might be. But more importantly, these seven statements, they push back on the idea that we can just sort of add a little bit of Jesus to our lives and then carry on living the way we do right now. Jesus isn't just another wise teacher. He's not just another ancient sage. He's not just some first century peace-loving hippie with a few good ideas. But in fact, he is God. And so we don't get to reduce him, minimize him, contain him, or be him. Today, as we jump into kind of the middle, larger chunk of chapter 6, we'll see that Jesus wants to, to remind us, or maybe, maybe if this is your first time, he wants to show you for the first time that the deepest desires in our hearts 
can only be met by him. As I was preparing this week, I saw another pastor share a video of, of Tom Brady, and it must have been a few years ago because in that video he said he had won three Super Bowls, and now we know he's up to seven, I think, right? But there was this short clip where he was speaking with the interview, and he said, listen, I've done everything I've ever dreamed of. I, you know, I, I'm playing football. I'm in the NFL. I've won it all three times. And you just kind of watch him, him look and consider that he's done all these things, and he looks in the camera, and he says, there's got to be more to life than this, right? The verses are going to show us that, that our appetites, our desires for things, are a relentless reminder that we want more because we were made for more than this life. That we were made for more than this world can offer us. That we were made for life with Jesus. This morning, we're going to be kind of wrestling and grappling with a bigger chunk, verses 22 right through to 60. So uh, we're not actually going to read every verse, but we'll keep dropping in and highlighting things in that section. If you've got your Bible in front of you, I'll invite you to open to Matthew 6, 22 and have a pencil and highlighter out, if you will. In these verses, we're going to see that Jesus is telling us that he is the bread of life, which is the only thing that can quiet those cravings and fill our souls. Let me start reading for us. I will read this opening section, starting at verse 22. John writes these words for us. On the next day, the crowd that had remained on the other side of the sea, remember from last week, Jesus had crossed the sea, the crowd came, he fed them, and then they went back across the sea. So the crowd woke up and realized, wait, Jesus is gone. They'd been there, they saw there was only one boat, that Jesus hadn't entered the boat with the disciples, but that he and his disciples were now gone. Now other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus wasn't there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. I just want to kind of let that last phrase hang here over us for a little bit. Now, just the day before, uh, this is the passage we studied last week, the first 21 verses of chapter 6. Jesus had taken a little boy's lunch, and he fed 5,000 men and their families. He had taken a few loaves and a couple of fish. He had he'd looked up at heaven, and he'd prayed over them, and then he went around and he passed out food to everyone. And do you remember how much everybody got? John writes for us, they got as much as they wanted. And this moment reminded the crowd of the way that, that God had provided for their ancestors in the desert when Moses was, was leading them out of Egypt, when they were fleeing. And we, we see the crowd point to this a little bit later in our passage this morning, down in verse 31 and 32. Back then, uh, every morning, the, the people following Moses would wake up and they would find this sweet, flaky, white bread on the ground. Here's how it's recorded for us in Exodus chapter 16. We read, uh, When the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the, the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now, last week, we, again, we talked about how Jesus is the true and better Moses leading his people. And so I hope you're still tracking with that connection as well. But here we're seeing that, that Jesus is going to say that I am the, the true and be better manna in the desert as well. 
But consider this. Why did, why did God send bread to his people back in Exodus? Let me suggest there's at least two reasons. First, frankly, they were hungry. They were on a long journey, which turned into a really long journey, 40 years long, and there's no way they could have provided for themselves. They couldn't have taken enough supplies from Egypt with them. They weren't stopped in a place long enough that they could plant and harvest and, and provide for themselves, and so God provided for them. But second, and maybe, maybe more important, God did it because he loved them. He, he wanted to provide for them, not just by miraculously freeing them from Egypt, not just by taking them to the promised land, not just by, by parting the sea and having them walk through the Red Sea, but he wanted to show them that he would provide for them every single day, that they would look to God and see that in every moment, he's got their every need covered. But again, more than that, this, this manna in the desert was a foreshadowing as well. Just as God sent Jesus to be the true and better Moses, to lead us out of slavery from sin and death instead of just out of Egypt, God sent Jesus as the true and better manna in the desert, the, the bread of life that wouldn't just satisfy our hunger day to day, our physical hunger, but, but also would satisfy our spiritual hunger as well. Look down at verse 33 to 35, and back in John chapter 6, Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the crowd said to Jesus, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I really appreciate how one writer says, God sent the true bread but it didn't appear on the ground first thing in the morning, but it appeared in a manger late at night. The bread was a person, Jesus Christ, sent by God to meet man's spiritual hunger. Now you and I, we often hunger for the wrong kind of bread or for the wrong reasons. In these first verses that we read, the people traveled across the sea to find Jesus. They noticed he was gone, and so they, they, they got on the boats, and they followed him, and they found him again. But, but Jesus calls them out right away, doesn't he? He knew their hearts. He knows their motivations. Again, look at verse 26. He says, listen, I tell you, you're, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, because those signs were supposed to point them to God, to who he was. He says, but you're looking for me because you ate your fill. They weren't recognizing the emptiness in their souls, but rather their stomachs had started to rumble again. Commentator Leon Morris says they were moved, uh, they were not moved by full hearts, but they were moved by full bellies. Which brings us to one of our ultimate questions. Are you following Jesus? Are you seeking him? Or are you just using it's an important question that I think we all need to consider every day. I know that I do. Are we, are we truly seeking the things that, that Jesus has for us? Are we truly trying to fulfill the spiritual hunger in our souls? Or are we chasing after physical things, money, sex, affirmations, pleasures, power, the newest toys, that next meal, just hoping that those things might bring us some fulfillment? but only turning to Jesus when things seem to maybe really seem to fall off the rails. If I'm honest, I, I wrestle with this every single day. Think about how much time we spend in our days even just trying to meet our physical hunger. 
We make meals. We get groceries. We snack. We forage around the kitchen. How many hours a day do you think you spend? I'd love to, if you are willing to admit it, uh, drop your estimate in the comments. Uh, And I don't have a stat on this, but as I thought about it myself, it's a considerable number, isn't it? Now take that and on the flip side, consider how much time and energy do you spend every day making sure that your spiritual hunger is met. As I considered and wrote that question to ask this morning, I realized maybe I need to consider fasting from time to time because that, that physical hunger versus spiritual hunger, uh, that can be way out of balance. A few weeks back, we looked at the, the spiritual practice of of Sabbath, the rhythm of Sabbath, and said that part of practicing Sabbath, part of incorporating that rhythm into our lives was was finding and doing things that that nourish your soul, not just your belly. I'd love to, again, hear from you. What are are some of those things for you? We need to, to practice and discover and give time to those things as well. One writer says, If your life consists of working day after day to put food on the table, it's going to feel empty. If all your energy is targeted at meeting your physical needs, needs that never take a day off, your life will feel wasted. He says, I wonder if the reason so many Christians feel bored and restless is that their lives are spent pursuing that which cannot satisfy. Another promotion at work, another vacation away, another sports victory, or another fancy meal. Again, in verse 36, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry or will ever be thirsty again. I've been uh, slowly reading the biography of Jim Elliott. He's, if you've heard of him, maybe you know, he's the missionary that was gone, uh, went down to a tribe in South America. He's, he's known for saying he's a, a fool who gives uh, what he cannot keep. He's, sorry, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And as I'm, I'm reading uh, his journal entry, his letters, his prayer, he's at this stage in the book, in the biographies, he's at school but you can just see that, that his spiritual hunger is, is being fulfilled by the Lord in every single day. His meaning, his purpose, his identity, his value, all the things that, that every one of us is, is pursuing is found in a life spent following Jesus, pursuing Jesus. Everything else will leave us longing for more. So what we've seen in this first part is that, that God provides the bread for those who are hungry. We saw that with the manna in the desert. We saw that with the, the feeding of the 5,000 last week. We see that with Jesus saying, I am the bread. I came down so that you will never be hungry again. But there's more. Not only does God provide the bread, but only God's bread can bring life. In these verses we've looked at already, we see Jesus saying, listen, you're trying to fill an appetite that, that, that will only be hungry again. You've got to think about more than just your stomach, stomachs. You've got to think about more than just your, your physical eyes. There's, there's, there's other things. He's saying, listen, that bread from before, it's only going to last a little while. Uh, look what he says down in verse 49, John 6, 49. He says, your fathers, the ones that ate manna in the wilderness, they died. Now let's be really clear about that verse. This statement is blunt and it's offensive. 
He's saying, listen, guys, your heroes that ate this manna in the desert, you said, you know, our ancestors ate manna. What are you going to do to prove us you're better than Moses, better than that? Those ones that you look up to, that you revere, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, they ate that bread that you're using as a measuring stick for me, Jesus is saying, and that bread is gone, and they're all dead. This would have been deeply offensive to those first hearers. I was listening to one pastor this week who was really drilling down on this point, and he said effectively, Jesus is offensive, and if you haven't been offended by Jesus, maybe you're not following the real Jesus. Now to be as clear as I can be, Jesus wasn't maliciously going around, picking fights, trying to offend people, but he came to give us life, real life, eternal life. And part of that includes calling out things in our lives that lead us away from life and ultimately towards death. I was on a Zoom call this week with a couple of classmates and, and one of them passed along this analogy. He said, listen, if, if sin in our lives was a color, let's say sin is the color blue, it's not that we would go through or look back on the, the film strip of our lives, as you would say, and just see kind of like, like someone went through and finger-painted little blue spots all over the place. But rather that, that every single moment, everything we do would be tinted blue. As a bit of a photographer, the picture resonates with me. It's not like there's a blue spot here that I can edit out in Photoshop. It's not like there's, you know, again, these fingerprints, thumbprints on my pictures. Instead, it's like someone took the white balance slider in Photoshop, cranked it way to the left so everything just looks blue. The color is off. And Jesus is calling out that blue. Jesus is calling out that sin that, that tints our lives away from him. And that offends us because it tells us that we don't have it all together, that we can't figure it out on our own. And most offensive is that we're not as good as we think we are. That's the kind of offense that Jesus brings. I hope that helps bring some clarity. Jesus goes at these guys and he says, listen, that, that, that manna, that miraculous bread, couldn't keep your heroes, couldn't keep your ancestors alive indefinitely. That, that meal you ate yesterday across the sea with me, it won't keep you alive indefinitely either. These physical things that you and I crave, they will never last long enough. I like how C.S. Lewis wrote, I cannot find a cup of tea. I would argue maybe let's find some coffee, Mr. Lewis instead. He said, I can't find a cup of tea that's big enough or a book that's long enough. He's saying, no matter what we give our lives to, it just won't be enough. It's just going to run out. But Jesus is the bread of life, and he promises to be that great cup of tea, that book that is long enough to all who believe in him. Look at all the places in this section. I hope you have a highlight, highlighter or a pencil out because we're going to fly through a couple of verses, and I want you to circle a bunch of things in your Bible. Here we go, verse 27 Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. That that the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set a seal of approval on him. A little bit later, verse 33, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 47, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. 
51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for life is the, uh, the life of the world is my flesh, he says. Verse 54, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my, flood has e- uh, drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, let's be really clear. Jesus is not advocating uh, cannibalism here and this would have been incredibly offensive as well to the Jews who didn't quite get it because they weren't even allowed to eat pork. But now Jesus is saying, have a bite of me. Verse 57, Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will what? Will live because of me. Verse 58, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. It's not like the manna your ancestors ate because they died. The one that eats of this bread will live forever. There are a lot of, of promises in all of these verses they really fall into two categories, and I'm uh, giving a bit of a hat tip here to Matt Carter, who's a pastor and commentator. The first is that Jesus is the bread of life, and he makes a person spiritually alive right now. He brings us into a, a life-giving relationship with the God of the universe. That's what he came to do. Jesus' life flows through you and me if we believe, if we eat, to use the analogy. For us, uh, on the other side of the cross from when Jesus originally spoke these words, and we're going to celebrate that with communion in just a minute, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. John, later in one of his letters, wrote that the one who is in you, the, the God that is in you, the Holy Spirit in you is greater than the one of the world. So get rid of all this worldly stuff. Peter writes later, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life where our sin had once turned everything blue, had tainted everything and cut us off from God, Jesus has made a way back. And the second promise is that after we die physically, we will be resurrected to live with Jesus forever. And he says this four times in these verses alone, verse 39 and 40 and 44 and 54. Jesus is the bread of life And he promises, his promises will never falter or fade or fail. So here's what we've got in this passage so far, that that God gives bread to those who are hungry, and only God's bread gives life. But finally, and, and here's the rub, we have to eat this bread in order to live. Think about being physically hungry. If you're famished and at some day you walk into a buffet restaurant and sit in front of the table, you just have to look at those delicious dishes and feel better? Of course not. The, the only way to satisfy a hunger is to eat. And that's what Jesus is telling the people here. Now, again, of course, Jesus isn't saying we actually have to take a bite of his arm and drink his blood. He's not talking about cannibalism. He's talking about eating, meaning believing. Look again at what he said in verse 35. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever, what? Whoever believes shall never thirst. Verse 47 and 48, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, because I am the bread of life, he says. When you and I go and we sit down for lunch later or dinner this evening, you don't just have a bite, chew it up, and spit it out. That's not eating. 
If you, if you head out and you're at a wine tasting, if that's your thing, and having, having a glug and swirling it and sniffing it and having a little slurp and swishing it and then spitting it out, that's not drinking either. When you eat something, when you drink something, you internalize it. It gets in you. Again, I appreciate how Matt Carter sums this up for us. He says, when you eat, you internalize food. Thinking about eating isn't the same as eating. Knowing the nutritional facts about your meal is not the same as eating. Understanding how your body processes food is not the same as eating. So to to believe is to internalize the truth about Jesus. It's about receiving him into your soul, he says. Thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing. Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as believing. Understanding how Jesus saves a person is not the same as believing. But believing is is staking your life on the fact that the only way to live is to receive him. It's about placing all of our hope on him to sustain us. It's about having a a deep sense that, that we are empty, we are lost, and we will die without him. It's about placing all our confidence in him. It's about placing our hope in in the only one that can give us life, strength, and future. And the best part about eating this bread of life is that there's no bill for us after. Jesus has done the work. Our job is to receive it. Unfortunately, the crowd, when they heard Jesus saying these things, they did a few things. We read in verse 36 that they chose to reject the bread of life. We read in verse 42 that they made excuses about what Jesus was calling them to. Wait a minute. Who's this Jesus? Isn't this just Joseph and Mary's boy? Aren't, aren't his brothers and sisters here too? Who, who does he think he is? Verse 60, they say, this is, this is maybe too hard to believe. Verse 60, we read, this is a hard saying. Who can believe this? Verse 41 tells us they, they also grumbled about what Jesus said. See, this, this kind of believing, this this eating the bread of life, as is the analogy in the text here, it's hard. It, it was then and it is now. It's hard because it means we, we give up ourselves. We surrender ourselves. It's hard because it means that we, we surrender the idea that we can satisfy our own internal ultimate longings. It's hard because it means that we just aren't as good as we think we are and we need Jesus. It's hard because it means we have to say, I can't do this. Jesus, save me, forgive me, and give me life. It's hard, but it's true, and it's our only hope. Let me pray, and then we'll move to the communion table. Jesus, thank you for this text. Thank you for this teaching. I pray that you would allow us to be offended by your words where we need to be offended, of course. I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you would be inside of us, working in us, and, and showing us the ways where we're hanging on to things that we're asking Jesus for. That we're, show us the ways that we're trying to provide for ourselves, that we are chasing and trying to satisfy our own hungers with the things of this world and, and rejecting Jesus by doing so. Jesus, I I ask as well that that you would remind us or maybe show us for the first time that you and you alone are the one that satisfies. 
Maybe, maybe we understand that and we, we knew that some time ago, but in these last days, it just doesn't seem like that. For whatever reason, we, we can't make that connection. Maybe, we, again, we, we know some stuff, we, we've read some stuff, we understand some things, but we need to get that, that information to journey from our heads to our hearts. Jesus, help us to know that you are the bread of life, the one that will, will make it so that we never hunger, we never thirst again, that we'll be fully satisfied in everything in you. Maybe this is the first time you've heard this, you're tracking with us, maybe the first time you're, you've attended church, you've heard these words, and maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe you've been tracking with us for a while, but maybe the Holy Spirit's doing something in your heart, and, and you're saying, listen, I, I've gone after all those other things. I've chased after the promotion. I've, I've chased after the athletic endeavor. I've chased after the best time. I've chased after the relationship. I've chased after the stuff, and I'm still feeling empty. Maybe you need to say those last words as well. I can't do this, Jesus. Save me. Forgive me. Give me life. I'll invite you just to, to pray that simple prayer. And if you do, if that's the first time, I invite you to, to share that with someone to drop us a note in the comments so that we can celebrate that with you. Jesus, thank you that you did come, that you lived a perfect life. You showed us how to relate perfectly to God, to others, to creation itself, and that you gave up your perfect life for us, that you died an excruciating death on the cross, paying for our sin, for all the, the ways that the, the worldly ideas, our worldly desires and aspirations have tinted our world. And you took that to the cross. And you died, but you were raised again on the third day, giving us life. How many times did we read that in this passage? You've come to give us life, eternal life, life, new life, abundant life, all these things. And Jesus, so we, we want to cling to that. As we move to the communion table, we, we remember even these verses you said today that you came and we need to, to eat your flesh and drink your blood, that we need to, to eat of the bread of life and, and, and drink of the work that you've done for us, submitting our lives to you. We thank you and we, we pray all these things, Jesus, in your good name. Amen. Well, if you have your communion elements with you, I'll invite you to, to grab them now. We've, we've got some around the room.